Hello and welcome to the Mindful in Minutes podcast, a guided meditations podcast brought to you by Yoga for You. I'm Kelly, and today I'll be leading you through your meditation. So go ahead and get comfortable, settle in, and enjoy your meditation practice. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the final freeform episode of 2020. Whoa. (laughs) I'm not sure how you feel about that. Um, I personally am very curious what 2021 will bring. I'm kind of hoping that 2021 is the year that we all thought 2020 would be. Kind of like, you know, when you're making pancakes and the first one you have to toss out because it doesn't turn out right. I'm hoping 2020 was that first bad pancake and then 2021 will be the glorious second pancake that's like perfect and delicious and wonderful. So that's what I'm personally, (laughs) that's what I'm personally hoping for. Um, But, you know, that's, that's just me. So I'm curious what 2021 will bring, which, wow, November, end of November already. I can't even... can't even believe it. I am pre-recording this. I am hopefully definitely on maternity leave at this point. If I haven't, if I'm still not on maternity leave, there's something, you know, something went wrong. That baby has been in there for way too long if I'm not on maternity leave yet. So I'm pre-recording this just a little bit, a little early, just to make sure, just in case you guys still get your episode. So I wanted to share one of my absolute favorite topics this month, and it's one that I get a lot of questions about, and it is about the time I went to go meditate with monks in the middle of nowhere, Missouri, in a forest. (laughs) Other than, like, what kind of dog Mila is, I think questions about the monks are probably some of the top, top ones. Um, That and then people asking me to, like, join their... (laughs) Their MLM um, companies and things. I swear those are probably three of the top ones. Mila, people that I haven't heard from since like middle school asking me to join their their MLM um, companies and uh, and then questions about the monks. So I'm finally going to spill it all, talk about um, my time there, but I'm also really going to dive deep into the practice that I was studying when I was there. So diving deep into loving kindness meditation. And it's one of my personal favorite styles, and I think it's also a really fascinating one. It's one um, that I find to be beneficial and topical right now since it seems like the entire world could use a little bit of loving kindness and, you know, or maybe a lot a bit of loving kindness. Um, Maybe this is just fresh on my mind because I'm recording this. It's like right before the, um, the U.S. election here. And, you know, I think we could all just use a little, just take a deep breath, send a little loving kindness to those around us. And so maybe it's just fresh on my mind, but I do find this practice not only to be relevant and topical right now, but it's also one that just has really transformed my life and my practice. And it's something that, um, you know, I've used, especially during really hard parts of my life, where I needed to work on um, either really working on my self-love or working on um, forgiving and moving past things that others have done. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And then I will share my personal experience with it, including um, what it was like 
you know, going and doing a meditation intensive. And um, yeah, and then on Sunday, I'll be releasing a companion episode where I lead you through a guided um, twim or tranquil wisdom insight meditation. So there'll be a companion meditation to go with this this episode. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about was just loving kindness meditation in general. So TWIM, which I'll talk about later, that's that's specifically what I was studying um, when I was taking my retreat. Um, that's a specific kind of loving kindness meditation. So it's a little bit different than s- just general standard loving kindness meditation. It's very similar, but there's a few things that are different. So I wanted to just start and kind of give you a big overview of loving kindness meditation because it's one that, again, I really, really love. And although Twim personally speaks to me, I think that loving kindness in general is just such a wonderful and powerful practice. So I absolutely adore loving kindness meditation, if you haven't picked up on that already. And it's just a style that personally really resonates with me. And it's one that I have decided to really study in depth. And it was also one of the first styles that I decided to study in depth. So it has an extra special place in my heart for that as well, because it was one of the first times that I really like dove deep into meditation in general and this happened to be the one that um, kind of the opportunity popped up to study it so I thought well what the heck let's let's go and do it and so it's it's something that I feel like kind of really set me off on the trajectory that I'm on now so it is extra special to me (laughs) but loving kindness if you haven't heard of it before which I really hadn't heard of it I didn't know it was a thing until I was studying it. Um, It's sometimes called meta meditation, M-E-T-T-A, and it's where you work on extending love, well wishes, and kindness to yourself and others around you, maybe also to like just the world around you. So meta means loving kindness, friendliness, goodwill, caring, and compassion. So depending where you look, they'll give you slightly different definitions. It can also be understood as a strong wish for the welfare and happiness of others or oneself. So You may see this referred to as meta-meditation or loving-kindness meditation. Um, We're talking about the same thing under different names. And it's a really powerful practice, and it's been scientifically proven to increase your compassion and empathy, as well as increase your sense of love, of self-love and compassion for yourself, which, again, I don't know who doesn't need a little extra boost in self-love and compassion, but also couldn't use an increase for the compassion and empathy that you have for others as well. And it's important to remember that loving kindness, it's not like a romantic love or a passionate love, but it's more sort of like the connection between people. So kind of recognizing the good in one another and the connection of the human spirit. So a lot of times I think of it as trying to recognize or see um, that everyone, even the people, and we'll, we'll talk about how you do this to challenging people, how you really kind of, you know, send them well wishes and love when they're really kind of really big stinkers in your life, how you do that. And really the way that you do it is by recognizing like the humanness and the soul and spirit that's within them and kind of separating that from their actions. So it's not like a a passionate love or anything like that. It's kind of just like a deep human compassion and and connection. So this can be easy to do if it's, you know, something that you already or someone that you already 
wish well, like a friend or a family member. But of course, it gets much harder when you start working on sending loving kindness to some challenging people or people that have hurt you. And I will give you just a little tip before we you know, talk about exactly how you practice loving kindness. But at one point during the practice, you will send and radiate that feeling out towards someone that has challenged you or has hurt you. And you don't start with like the biggest baddie to begin with. You're not going to pick like the person that has hurt you the most in life. You can kind of, you're going to ease into it. So just like with any kind of meditation, loving kindness is sort of like building that muscle and making it stronger. So you can start with, you know, some of the softballs. You don't have to start with, you know, picking that person that, you know, that really, really, really hard person that's really hurt you, you can start with someone that you just find to be like a little bit annoying or someone who's just, you know, maybe kind of a challenge to work with, but you don't have like, you know, you don't not like them that much. So, and then over time, you can then work up towards the really, really tough people. So if you listen to last month's episode, um, you heard me share an experience that was kind of a hard one to share. And I, I do appreciate everyone's um, kindness and compassion for, you know, when I shared that, that was, that was very kind, um, that everyone was, you know, very nice and, and kind about that and didn't send me nasty emails or anything about, um, my experience. But, um, when I said that meditation really helped me get through that, it was really this loving kindness meditation, um, that helped me through that because I was working on, and and again, we'll dive deeper into, you know, how do you tackle dealing with really, really hard people, or in my case, you know, people that um, had abused and, um, you know, how do you, how do you reconcile that? And for me, it was more, um, I couldn't really forgive her and let go and start moving forward until I was, you know, in this practice and I was able to successfully see like the humanity and the soul within her. And I truly believe that the only reason I could do it. And let me tell you, that took a long time to get there. It's not like, you know, I I just worked on it for a few days and then I was able to really tackle like one of those people that really, really hurt me. Um, but I think it was because I practice this meditation a lot and I've kind of been increasingly working on, you know, more challenging and challenging people. And then I felt like I was a little bit more equipped and eventually could then, um, kind of send some loving kindness to what I would consider, you know, the, the biggest baddies. So, so it's possible, but it's kind of like working out where you, you know, you don't start with like the 50 pound weights, you start with like the five pound weights and then you start, you know, growing and becoming stronger and stronger and stronger with it. So you're ultimately able to lift those heavier weights. So traditionally you do a loving kindness meditation by, you know, sitting down, getting comfortable, um, closing your eyes and you access that feeling of loving kindness. So it, it usually they'll say, if you want to tap into that feeling, You'll either think about a time where you were just really, really happy, like that pure kind of joy, just everything is good. You just felt so great and so loved and everything was just aligned and awesome. Or you can think about um, something and, and these <laughs> these examples might sound a little silly, but they really do work. Um, if you think about things that just kind of like bring you joy. So they'll say, you know, um, holding like a baby that smiles at you and you just kind of get that like, ooh, baby smile feeling. That's loving kindness. 
or um, like snuggling a puppy is always like you know lots of if and if you're not a puppy person I don't know what uh, I don't know what you're doing but um, so like snuggling a puppy which speaking of which mine just poked her head in while I was recording hello hello you can probably <laughs> you can probably hear her but I actually so I do use my Mila girl um, to sometimes activate this loving kindness because it's just like a very kind of like pure love and it's so easy to wish you know my fur baby well um so you can think about holding a smiling baby or snuggling a puppy or thinking of like a time when you've seen a dear friend and it's been a really long time and you just see them and it's like oh your heart could just burst because you just you know are so happy to see them like they say to kind of tap into that feeling especially when you first start practicing this it may not come as naturally by thinking about you know one of those things and and tapping it and accessing it so you do that and then you start by sending that loving kindness to yourself and saying phrases maybe like um well traditionally you would say uh, may you be safe you're saying this to yourself may you be safe May you be happy, may you be healthy, may you live with ease or something similar. So you send it to yourself, you know, looking at yourself and then saying those phrases and trying to radiate that feeling of loving kindness to yourself. Then you would do it to a loved one or someone that you care about. Um, That could be, you know, they say if you can stick to someone that is um, living. So, you know, a dear friend, a family member, something like that. Then you send it to a neutral person. So that's going to be someone, you know, like the person that you see all the time checking you out at the grocery store. Or I think a lot of times of like the neighbors that I see when I'm out walking my dog or out walking and I see them walking too and like I might give them like a little wave, but that's it. You know, I don't like know their names or chat with them. And then you go to someone that you don't particularly care for or, you know, a challenging person And you get to pick who these people are, but it always goes in that order. Yourself, a loved one, a neutral person, a challenging person. And for me, that's where the magic is, is when you, um, is, well, for me, actually, the magic happens when you're able to conquer what I think are the two hardest ones, which is one, sending love to yourself, and then two, sending love to someone that has hurt you. And I believe that these two are the hardest, but for two different reasons. So one, I think that just in general, and this makes me sad, but I think it's very true. We have such a hard time loving ourselves and being compassionate towards ourselves, letting you know ourselves be human. And as sad as it is, you know, learning how to love, forgive, and have compassion towards your own humanness is one of the most challenging and radical things that you can attempt in this lifetime. It shouldn't be, but it is. And, you know, I know it is from personal experience. I don't know a lot of people that just without putting in a ton of, you know, really hard, deep work have really accessed kind of that like unconditional self-love for themselves. And it can be really hard. And, you know, our world kind of teaches us at a very young age that we aren't good enough or we don't have enough or, you know, this is what success, success, <laughs> words are hard today. This is what success looks like. And don't deviate from that or else you're doing it like wrong. And these things can be really damaging to us and really kind of, you know, can harm our, our self-esteem and our ability to love ourselves and also to be able to love others. So I think that's why that one is so hard. 
And then sending love to someone that has genuinely hurt you is really hard too, and but in a different way because it's just our natural reaction when someone hurts you really badly or irritates you is to kind of want them to hurt or be irritated back. And that's just natural. That's just, you know, kind of human instinct. And so it can be hard to conquer that, especially when you're working with some of those, you know, tougher people, not just the ones that irritate you a little bit, but like the really tough ones. Um, that can be that can be hard because um, that's just not our natural you know, instinct. If someone hurts me and then, you know, my reaction is not immediately to try to send, you know, all the love that I would send to my dearest friend to, you know, also wish this person, you know, that hurt me well. So by incorporating loving kindness meditation into your life, I like to think of it as you're working on two of the hardest things possible all in one sitting. So you're working on self-love, you're working on, you know, forgiveness and love of those that have hurt you. And, you know, it might take time, but I promise you it does work. So when I was researching for this episode, because I wanted to make sure I was, you know, up to snuff before I shared it all with you, um, I came across a quote in um, one of Sharon Salzberg's books. I believe it's uh, The Path of Happiness, The Path to Happiness, 28 Days I'll go, I'll have to look it up. I'll have to look it up. I'll put it in the show notes for sure. I will link to it in the show notes. Um, but Sharon actually has some really wonderful books and teachings on on loving kindness. So if you're curious about this, you can always look her up as well. And and I felt like she really summed it up in her book. And so I just wanted to read it to you quickly. So in her book, which um, I had to pause really quick and look it up because I felt bad. <laughs> I felt bad that I didn't know the title right off the top of my head. Um, I just know it's the one that I like to read from her with the orange cover. So it's called Real Happiness, The Power of Meditation, a 28-day program. Again, I'll link to it in the show notes. But she, in the loving kindness section, has um, just a part that really resonated with me. And it says, sometimes when I'm having a hard time feeling sympathetic joy for another person's good fortune, I ask myself the question, what would I gain from this person's not getting such and such? And it is quite clear to me that I don't benefit at all from someone else's loss. Often, without consciously realizing it, we're convinced that the good thing someone else got was destined for us, but got detoured by them by some hideous, unjust twist of fate. But of course, we need to look at that assumption. Cultivating sympathetic joy opens the door to realizing that the happiness of others doesn't take away anything from us. In fact, more joy and success there is there is in the world, the better it is for everyone. And I just love that so much because I think that sometimes when we struggle to send loving kindness to someone that has challenged us or hurt us, it is kind of this idea of like, well, you know, what does someone else's happiness take away take away from us and the truth is it takes nothing away from us that there's plenty of happiness and love and joy to go around and someone else's joy does not then make us less joyful or less worthy of of joy so I always just love that when I'm thinking about loving kindness and it just it speaks really deeply to me and I have to remind myself sometimes you know there's enough happiness to go around and just because someone hurt me like their happiness does not take away from my happiness or my ability to be to be happy. And I think it's also important to note that when you're working with people that have hurt you, you don't have to love them or even like them. And this is something that Sharon talks about in her book, but this was something that um, my teacher 
Bonte, who you hear me talk about later on in the episode um, when I was first studying this, he was the one that told me when I was really struggling, I was like, you know, I really don't want to send loving kindness to this person. They, And at the time, it was a different person um, when I, yeah, it was a different person. We all have a handful of people, right, where it's it's really kind of hard to send loving kindness to them because they've really hurt us. And I was asking him, I said, you know, how do I really, do I really have to send loving kindness to this person after they've done, you know, horrible things to me? And he was the one that first introduced this idea of wishing someone well does not necessarily like, it doesn't mean you're condoning their actions or it doesn't make necessarily what they did okay, but it means that you are kind of going above and seeing the soul and separating their actions from their their humanness and their soul. So if you're able to see them, you know, as a human and have compassion and empathy for them, that's the point of a loving kindness meditation, not loving them or falling in love with them or deciding like, you know, that what they did was okay, but it's basically almost more for yourself of being able to let go of that anger and being able to separate the fact that, you know, this person did really horrible things, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm going to hold on to my anger and, you know, not wish them well. So I think it's important that when you do work with challenging people, you don't have to like love them or even like them. You're just trying to let go of your own anger and sort of take the spiritual high road and be able to, um, you know, wish them, wish them well and hope that they, um, you know, can evolve and grow and, um, you know, find their own happiness. But you don't ever have to, you know, like them or talk to them again or anything like that. And it's definitely easier said than done. So, you know, just something when you think of people as human and flawed, just like the rest of us. Um, and a lot of times I have to think about, you know, people who are hurting hurt. And so they probably hurt me in a time of their great pain and suffering. It just becomes easier to have compassion and send that loving kindness to them. So loving kindness, um, when you do your meditation practice, you start, like I said, you drum up the feelings of loving kindness, and then you start with yourself saying those, you know, affirming nice phrases, wishing yourself well, then you send it to someone that you care for, then you send it to a neutral person, and then a challenging person, and maybe ultimately you work up towards sending it to like the entire world at once. I don't see this in all aspects, that last part of sending it to everyone. I don't see it in all aspects of loving kindness meditation, but it seems to be a commonality in a lot of them. So I included it. And then hopefully, and you can do different people every time you sit down to practice this, but then hopefully your practice will progress and you will find it easier and that the loving kindness flows faster and stronger and not just during your practice, but also just in life in general. So that not only is loving kindness flowing when you're practicing, but kind of all the time and that you can sort of become this being of loving kindness, which I think is is really cool. So now let's talk about TWIM, which is what I was studying when I was with the monks. So TWIM is a form of loving kindness. 
um, Loving-Kindness Meditation. So it's very similar to what I just walked you through, but there's a few things that kind of set it apart from just a general Loving-Kindness Meditation. So TWIM stands for Tranquil Wisdom Insight Meditation. It was created by Bonte Vomeranzi as a way of infusing life with metta or Loving-Kindness. And in this style, you meditate by radiating Loving-Kindness to yourself and all beings. And something that's a little bit unique about TWIM is that you alternate your sitting meditations with your walking meditation. So you don't just do this, you know, for a sitting meditation, but you can also do this practice. Um, You can take kind of your TWIM practice on a walk as well. So those of you that love the walking meditations, you may really enjoy TWIM because they kind of teach you how to continue loving kindness meditation on a walk. We will mostly be talking about um, the seated one today, but know that that's an option out there. And so Bonte believes that this practice, that TWIM is the most pure form of what the Buddha talked about when describing meditation. So this meditation also emphasizes the use of smiling to allow the mind to relax. And I'm talking about like actually physically like putting a smile on your face and it's a way to turn your entire body into a vessel of loving kindness and then like I said it alternates periods of sitting meditation with walking meditation so you might sit for anywhere from 30 to 90 minutes Um, when we do our guided practice on Sunday it'll be a little bit shorter I'll still keep it you know within my usually my self-imposed 20 minute um, time limit and then you'll go and you'll walk for about maybe 15, 20, 30 minutes. And the reason that you do this is to kind of break up long sitting meditation. So I'll talk more about this when I share my personal experience and also to get like the blood flow going because it's not good for your body. Um, Bonte actually has a little bit of, and he talks a lot about this, so I'm, I'm sure it's fine that I share it, but he has some blood vessel damage in his legs because when he was studying meditation, he had a teacher that had him sit for hours and hours and hours. And then what happens is that it can mess up with your circulation. Also, when you're sitting and resting, um, your blood vessels can dilate. And then if you don't get up and move around and walk and get that circulation going where they'll then, then constrict, basically the blood vessels can stay dilated. And then you can have like a lot of swelling and pain and things like that. And so it's actually not that safe to sit and meditate for like hours and hours on end. So and I'm talking like hours and hours of meditation, not like sometimes if you go on a meditation retreat or like I'll share an experience where I sat for two hours, um, that's okay. But it's it's the same kind of thing where if you just sat, you know, it's not good for you either to just sit at your desk and not move for like eight hours. So same thing if, you know, you're meditating as well. So you break up your periods of sitting meditation with walking meditation so that you can kind of go out into nature get the body moving, things like that, and then you can come back and sit longer. So the purpose of this style of meditation is to become a being of loving kindness, and it creates lightness and joy in the heart. So it's a playful style of meditation, and your overall attitude in this practice should be light, gentle, exploratory, and playful. So you are not to let it be too serious or too heavy. This practice should be fun, and it may quickly lead to, like, powerful and kind of like pleasurable happy feelings and openings of the heart and if you take anything too seriously um, Bonte particularly believes that this will lead to heaviness in the heart and stop the feelings of loving kindness so you may be able to guess that you know 
That's probably one of the reasons why this practice really resonates with me. I too don't like to take things too seriously. Um, You know, I like to joke. I like to laugh. I like to smile. I think that, um, you know, I don't think of myself as kind of the quote, like, traditional serious meditation teacher and those of you that have met me in person or come on retreat with me or train with me know that I just you know I love to kind of keep things light not that they aren't professional but I like to you know I really believe that you know laughter and smiling and joy and jokes and things like that help to keep lightness in the heart and that if you start taking things too seriously and become like very rigid that it can create heaviness in the heart so this is one of the reasons one of the main reasons that this style of meditation really resonates with me um, because it kind of aligns with that belief that I have that you know it's it's okay to be a little bit silly and it's okay to you know joke and Um, have fun. It creates lightness in the heart, which helps to really let that loving kindness flow. So something else that kind of sets Twim apart or makes it a little bit different from your general loving kindness meditation is that you're going to use something called a spiritual friend, which is is basically the um, the person you know that you care about that you're going to send your loving kindness to after you send it to yourself in twin we call it a spiritual friend so you will um, a spiritual friend when you're picking one it is you know someone that you have you know someone that is living and that you already have kind of that loving kindness connection with and have kind of you know that that lively quality. Um, It shouldn't be a family member or anyone who you have any romantic attachments to. The reason being that choosing a family member or someone that you have romantic feelings for can complicate the feelings of loving kindness and can allow you to get more distracted in your mind. Also, if you pick family or um, a romantic partner or someone that you may have romantic feelings for or have had romantic feelings for. Um, we all know that family relationships and romantic relationships can be quite complex and it can just be, you know, a little bit distracting. Like if I picked, you know, Tom Hardy for my spiritual friend, I would be so distracted by his good looks while I was trying to meditate that it would probably complicate things and derail my whole practice. So because he's just very dreamy and I would probably get distracted by that. But if I chose a close friend or one of my dearest students, which sometimes I do pick, or even, you know, Mila works well too, someone that I just, it's so easy for me to just see them and let the loving kindness flow and say, yeah, I, I do wish you well. Like I do want to send this meta right to your soul. So they call it a spiritual friend in TWIM. And then they also work with something called the six R's, which I think are so wonderful for all kinds of meditation. This is probably the biggest piece that I took away like as a meditation teacher or once I became a meditation teacher. And the six R's are a method of dealing with distractions in your meditation. So it's where you recognize, release, relax, re-smile, return, and repeat. And this is the exact process that you'll use every single time you get distracted during your twin meditation. So the, um, you know, basically what it is, I said, Twim and Bonte, they love smiling because you probably heard me say, re-smile. You didn't mishear that. That was correct. Um, And so you start this practice with a big, giant smile on your face. And when I lead you through one on Sunday, I'm going to have you start by putting a big, huge smile on your face, even if you don't feel it. That's okay. You're going to do it. 
And the idea is that when you smile, it relaxes the meninges, which is the um, casing around your brain. It's kind of like like really thin plastic wrap around your brain. It's called the meninges. You can Google it, but just be warned, like if you Google it and you click like Google images, you'll get some really like, you know, graphic pictures. Um, So you've been warned. But you can Google the meninges. It's a casing around your brain. And we actually know science backs this up. We do know that um, smiling helps to relax it. So it basically can like relax or contract. So physically creating mental tension. You always talk about, you know, clearing the mind, releasing mental tension. One way of starting that process is by physically relaxing the meninges through smiling and relaxing versus, you know, if we're stressed or serious, um, it does uh, create some tension in the meninges, like physically kind of creating some tension in our brain. So then Bonte believes that if you start with a big smile, you're already starting to relax the mind and release some of that mental tension by kind of decompressing the meninges. So that's why you always start with like a huge smile on your face. And if you get distracted, then you just do the six R's. So you recognize you're distracted you release the distraction, you relax, you re-smile. So you put that big old smile right back on your face. Then you return to your meditation and repeat that as many times as you need. And so this is something that you've heard me say. I don't always do like the six R's, but I'll do kind of what I think of as like the three R's, which is um, release, relax, return. So basically, or I'm sorry, recognize release, return. So recognize that you're distracted, release the distraction, and return to your object of meditation. And then you can do that as many times as you need. It might be five times. It might be 500 times. The whole point is to just keep that lightness in your heart, not take it so seriously. It's kind of like, oops, I'm distracted again. I need to do my my six R's or I'll sometimes lead you to the three R's. And then it gets you back on track. So when you practice a twin meditation, it goes a little something like this. This will sound similar to what I described with loving kindness. So you begin by coming to a comfortable position with a long spine where you won't fall asleep, but you can sit comfortably for a while. And then you smile. You put that big old smile on your face, a big toothy grin. And you begin by radiating love and kind feelings. You know, you kind of activate it first, get it moving within you. Then you radiate it to yourself and you wish yourself happiness and love and all the good things. And then you do the same thing. You radiate and send it to your spiritual friend. And then you do it again to someone that you are neutral towards and then someone that you find challenging or disagree with. And then ultimately, you'll radiate it to all of those people at once and maybe work your way up to radiating it to like the universe as a whole. And then you break up um, your sits with some walking meditations where you then can radiate loving kindness like out from your feet down into the earth or just to all the plants around you or to the world around you. And when you um, practice TWIM, like I will be guiding you through a practice where we do um, send loving kindness to all of those people. But from my experience, and granted, I was doing kind of an intensive. I was there for about 12 days. Um, I had to work up to it. So for the first few days, first, they just had me working on accessing the feelings of loving kindness. And then I worked on sending it to, I think, my spiritual friend first, actually. And then kind of once I got approval, then I could, you know, activate it, send it to my spiritual friend for a while, and then start sending it to myself. And I was working closely with Bonte to kind of, you know, monitor my progress and things like that. And then he would say, okay, now start incorporating 
neutral people. Now start incorporating, you know, someone that just irritates you a little bit or, you know, now try, you know, someone that's really hurt you. And so I did it a little bit more slowly, um, but I was kind of there for, you know, that like immersive experience. But if you're just sitting for like a general twim practice, then you would kind of go through these somewhat quickly. You could do all of them in in a sitting and I will be leading you through that um, on Sunday so you can experience it for yourself. So very similar to, you know, it's definitely a kind of loving kindness meditation with its own unique flair. So if you're interested in learning more about loving kindness in general, there is a whole section of loving kindness and twim in my online meditation teacher training. So if you want to learn how to teach it, um, that's something that I cover in that curriculum. But you can also look up um, Sharon Salzberg and any of Bonte's books or going to the website. So it's it's called damasuka.org. But I'm going to link all of these things in the show notes so you can access it there. So now... I think it's time that I share my story and my experience. Um, (laughs) This is where everyone is like, tell me about the monks, (laughs) which um, cracks you up. It's not, it's really not as cool or as exciting as it sounds. Um, But I am just going to tell you the whole story. So you've heard me talk about it before leading up to it. Um, You know, everyone always (laughs) kind of laughs at how I found myself in this situation But basically, I wanted to explore more meditation so that I could serve my students better. They were wanting to explore a little bit of meditation, and I had been so focused on the physical aspect that I didn't really, um, I just didn't feel like I knew enough about meditation to be able to share it and teach it. And something that's important to me is that I don't, you know, teach anything that I don't feel like comfortable and knowledgeable in. So I went to Google, (laughs) and I put... um, meditation training and retreat in Missouri because I was living in Missouri at that time. And so I just went to good old Google and all sorts of, you know, things popped up and I just kept clicking through, clicking through, clicking through. And then there was one that sort of spoke to me and it was about um, taking a virtual retreat and loving kindness meditation or in, in TWIM. So I did a little Googling and I thought, oh, well, you know, this style of meditation sounds really interesting. So I filled out the contact form on their website and, um, you know, sent the monks an email because they're cool and hip and they email. Um, and I, you know, inquired about the virtual retreat. And then we were kind of like talking back and forth. And, you know, they asked, well, what time zone are you in? And I said, oh, well, actually, you know, I'm in, um, you know, central time, same as you. I live in Missouri. And they're like, oh, well, since you live in Missouri, like, why would you take a virtual retreat? Um, you can just come down and stay with us for a few days. Just, you know, come and come and be part of our, of our community, come study. And, um, and I, I was kind of like, what really? And, um, and then I told my, my mom and my husband about it. And, you know, my mom was convinced that they were actually serial killers and that I just met, you know, some like Craigslist killer online and I was going to go and I was going to get murdered. And then my husband didn't think I was going to get murdered, but he thought I was going to go like either join or be like kidnapped by a cult. Um, so, but I really, and this is where I owe is my disclaimer. Every time when I tell this story, I do not recommend meeting strangers online and then just going and meeting them in the middle of nowhere. I did my research. I vetted them. I felt very good about it. Um, 
And I felt, you know, good and comfortable and like this was a safe choice to make. I wasn't just like, oh, I don't know. Like I've just been emailing with this person uh, that says that, you know, they work at this meditation center run by like this monk. And so I'm going to go and, you know, leave everything behind and give them my cell phone, which is one of the rules, no cell phones, things like that, and stay there for 12 days. I did vet them and I felt, you know, good and, and comfortable about it. So please don't just, you know on a whim, just meet someone online and then meet them in the woods somewhere. Please don't do that. So I do understand my mom's concern, <laughs> um, but it it felt very legit to me. So I said, okay, you know, I finally said, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to do it. And I went, I believe it was the fall of um, 20, I think 2015. It was either 2014 or 2015. I think it was, I'm pretty positive it was 2015. Um, And so I went and I was there for about 12 days. So I go and I drive. It's on the complete other side of the state. It it probably took me a solid four and a half, five hours to get there. It was in the middle of the Mark Twain Forest. And I was living like in northern Missouri, like close to the Iowa border. And and so I um, drove all the way down, really beautiful drive. And then I get to a point where, you know, I start driving into the forest and – and then I started like losing. And then I have like no cell phone, you know, service and stuff. And then and then in the back of my mind, I just hear my mother being like, see, I told you they were killers. Um, and I was like, gosh, this is how like every like horror movie starts. Um, and so I was driving and I had these instructions and it was like, look for the rock with the um, with, like the large wheel on it. Then you'll know you're here. Turn left and drive up the driveway or the two mile driveway or something past the goats. And I was just like, okay. So these are the directions I have. And then I go, I kept my doors locked. So I was like, okay, if I get here and something doesn't sound right, I'm just going to keep driving. Um, but I did feel good about it. And I got there and, and then, you know, once I found the place, it was just so lovely and wonderful. Um, and I just felt very comfortable when I got there. I explained to them. Um, usually you would, you know, turn in your phone and things like that. And I, and I just explained to them. I said, you know, um, I have to be completely honest. I said, my mom and my husband are a little worried about me being here alone. Um, you know, as a as a young 20-something woman being alone and doing this, like, would it be okay? I promise I won't look at my phone. But just, you know, every night I'm just going to check in and send them a text and say, hey, like, you know, still doing okay. I'm still doing well. And I just want to make them know, you know, so that they know I'm doing okay. And I mean, you know, all those monks, they're so nice. They're all very nice and sweet and accommodating. So they said, no problem. So they let me keep my phone as long as honor system, I kept it off, except for the one time a day that I let my family know I was still alive. So that was really nice. But usually I would have been required to check in my phone, but they're very nice and accommodating for that. And, um, So I get there and it was um, nighttime on the first day and um, right before what was going to be the, they do like a talk every night where Bonte comes and talks about, you know, any kind of just whatever topic he wants to talk about, um, a a Dhamma talk. And and so I get there and then I watch like a couple of videos and they were just like the online videos that I'd already watched to kind of familiarize myself both with Bonte and... um, Twim, and so you watch them again, just as kind of like a refresher, and and then I went and they showed me um, my cabin, and I'm gonna try to find. Um, I have a picture of the inside of this cabin, and it was just it was just so small and like quaint, and it just had you know I just had a really good feeling, and um, and so I stayed there. That was my little cabin 
for um, my 12 days and I got settled and then I went to the talk in which I, um, you know, listened and I, I don't remember what the exact topic was that night, but I was just fascinated by it. I was like, wow, like this is just so interesting. And then it was bedtime. So that first day, really not a whole lot, you know, going on. And then the next day I wake up the first like full day. So I wake up. I'm so excited. Meditation begins at 5 a.m., which for me didn't feel like that big of a deal. I know for a lot of people that would be a total deal breaker. Um, I didn't sleep a lot the night before because I was feeling really excited and I didn't want to sleep through. I'd be like, oh my gosh, what if I oversleep for my first day of, you know, this meditation? And um, and so I got up at about, you know, 4.40 or whatever. I don't need, you know, 4.45. I don't need, I just need to get my contacts and brush my teeth. Um, and I started my first full day. So the days kind of looked like this. So you get up. You have meditation practice in meditation hall from about 5 to 8, 8.30 a.m. And then you have breakfast. So when you're there from 5 to 8-ish, um, you don't, like, just sit there for three hours. You have to sit for, you know, a minimum of 30 minutes. And then you can get up and go and, like, walk around, you know, do your walking meditation and then return and sit. And you kind of, you know, um, percolate between those two until then it's breakfast time. Then you have breakfast and then you get a chore. So I wake up and I'm going and I'm sitting and, um, you know, they in TWIM, they like to meditate in chairs. But I still have this like ego piece of me where I was like, oh, I'm a yogi. So I'll just like sit like crisscross applesauce on the floor. It'll be no problem. And it was a problem and everything ached. And 30 minutes felt so long because I didn't I really wasn't doing a lot of meditation um, at the time, I wasn't, you know, very experienced in it, only dabbled in it a little bit. Um, and so I really wasn't like that familiar with it. And so I was definitely taking the baptism by fire approach of like, oh, I want to learn about meditation. I'll just go where like I'm expected to meditate for like 12 hours a day. Um, and those 30 minutes were so freaking brutal. The first 30 minutes and then my back was hurting and, you know, everything. And then I kept kind of like peeking at the clock. And then I noticed, I was like, okay, it's in 30 minutes. I can, they said I can get up and walk if I want. And I'm looking around and no one else is doing it. And so then I had that little, like, it was not a competition, but I decided to make it a competition because, you know, whatever, I was 25 years old and was just being a piece of work. Um, and so it was, you know, it was really, it was really, really hard. Um, and then I, you know, eventually caved and I, I got up and, and walked and then came back and sat again. And that first morning session was really hard. Um, I appreciated the challenge, but I don't know what I was thinking, but I thought I was going to somehow be like, you know, better at it. Even though now I think that's, you know, looking back, I think it's so funny because it's like, I wasn't like bad at it. I just had never really done it before. And it, and it can be really hard. Um, I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that because even sitting through, you know, maybe a 15 guided meditation with me, um, you know, that can be tricky enough. I hear people all the time saying, you know, I just can't sit for that long or do this or that. And um, yeah, so it was definitely, it was definitely hard. I didn't just like sit there and then find like complete bliss instantly. That's just not what happened. So I did that. I had my first, you know, chunk of meditation. Then I went to breakfast and I was supposed to be silent. I was supposed to be silent the whole time with one exception when I had my one-on-one time with Bonte. Um, I was not. I was very naughty. And I kept getting in trouble because, you know, I wanted to talk to the other people there. And I wanted to talk to, you know, the monks. And I wanted to talk to the people in the kitchen. And that was one of the hardest parts, especially in the beginning, 
was um, not talking, but it also made me so aware of how much I was talking, like completely like pointless, like meaningless talking, like just small talk and things like that. Um, so it ended up just being so great and powerful, but it was really hard. And I, I got in trouble a lot for, for talking, but it's supposed to be silent. So then you go, you have silent breakfast and then you're given a chore. And again, you know, I was kind of like, I was a little salty about it. I was like, what do you mean you have to do a chore? Like I'm already meditating all day. Like I have to do a chore. And the idea was that you would be assigned a chore. So my first day I had to do dishes. Um, and then you would go and you would try to kind of radiate loving kindness while you're doing these mundane chores, like while you're doing all the breakfast dishes or whatever. And um, that was challenging too, this whole thing. This is the theme. The whole thing was really challenging and, you know, very eye-opening and illuminating to me of just like, you know, kind of maybe what a little sassy brat I was being. But, um, you know, the idea is that you really just allow yourself to be completely present with that chore and still be able to radiate loving kindness even when you're like washing someone else's like oatmeal bowl out. So then I did that. um, And then after your chore, then you can go and have your one-on-one time with Bonte. I didn't have that until I think it was about my third day. Um, and that's where you can go and you can talk to, you know, him about anything well, anything relating to like your practice. So you go, you do your one-on-one time and I'll talk more about that in a second. And then you have kind of like the late morning meditation chunk. So like, you know, kind of like 1030 to noon, like 10 to noonish, um, or like 930 to noonish. Then you go and you have your, or no, I, I believe it was 9 to 11.30. Then you do the same thing as the morning. You, know, you can alternate your sitting and your walking. You meditate in the meditation hall. Then you have lunch, um, which is the last meal of the day uh, because, um, you know, this group of, I, I don't know about all um, Buddhist monks, but at least this group, um, you know, they believe that you only eat until the sun is at its highest point. And then you don't eat again um, until the sun is, you know, rising again. So they only eat two meals a day, which I was naughty again. And I had packed some snacks when I read that I wasn't going to be allowed to eat after 12. Um, but I did that because I have like a medical, um, I have a medical thing in which I I can't um, do long periods of fasting like that. It's not, it's not okay for me to do. So I had like, you know, some protein bars and things like that. Um, but that was my last like meal of the day. So then you do lunch, then you have free time, free time slash nap time. I napped. <laughs> and then you have your afternoon meditation session. It's one of the longer ones. So it's from like one thirty to five. And then you have quote tea time, which I just called not dinner. Um, tea time was where you could go and have a cup of tea. Again, you aren't supposed to be eating. You can have liquid, so I just started referring to it as not dinner. Um, and then after tea time slash not dinner, then it was lecture time. And that's where Bonte would come and, you know, speak on a topic for maybe 90 minutes or two hours. And then it was bedtime. And then you just repeat that. That's what, you know, the day-to-day was. And the first three days, especially the first two days, um, before I was kind of talking individually with Bonte and working on deepening my practice that way, it was really challenging like it was exciting and new and I loved it but also kind of hated it a little bit because it was just so hard I had never in my life you know I'd hardly even sat and met you know to sit to meditate for 30 minutes let alone all day long and so like I really enjoyed the challenge but also I was really frustrated at times and just 
kind of conforming to those rules. I never really had an experience quite like that. Um, not, you know, conforming to rules, but like those specific ones, like, you know, being silent, no communication. We weren't allowed to read books or journal in our free time. It was just all quiet contemplation. Um, and that was really hard and challenging. And then, um, and then on the third day, I started meeting individually with Bonte during that, you know, kind of after breakfast time to talk about my practice. So one, it was during that time that I could talk, thank God. (laughs) And, then I could finally ask someone the millions of questions that were in my head. Again, thank God. And this is where I really felt like I started to deepen my practice. I was able to be honest. You know, I told him I was frustrated. You know, sometimes I'd fall asleep during my practice. I found that it was impossible to sit longer than 30 minutes. And also, you know, how do I send loving kindness to, I believe I, I said, how do you really expect me to send loving kindness to, you know, a-holes? And, um, and thankfully, thankfully. And this is why I always say it's so important to find the right teacher, that he was, you know, open and loving towards me as a person and kind of my my directness and, you know, me saying things like, how do you really expect me to send love to, you know, those really big a-holes? And um, I won't use the actual word because I don't have to put the explicit on this episode. <laughs> I don't even think I know how to do that. Um, but yeah, so that was really great. And I was able to just be open and honest about my practice. And he really challenged me. He pushed back on some things, but he also listened and let me speak my mind and then helped and taught, which I absolutely love in a teacher. And I I feel like that's why I really progressed so much after I started meeting with him. Um, And, you know, and then, and then he challenged me in some ways. He said, you know, he challenged me to sit longer than 30 minutes and said, it's just, if you've already gone in deciding that you're not going to be able to sit longer than 30 minutes, and of course you're not going to be able to sit longer than 30 minutes. Like that's just your mind kind of being lazy and trying to distract you. So, you know, he challenged me to change that. And then, you know, we talked about how sending loving kindness to people that had done horrible things was hard. And, you know, why was it so hard? And we talked a lot about that. And he was the one that helped me realize that, you know, kind of like I talked about earlier in this episode, like I don't have to, to send someone loving kindness, like I don't have to love them. I don't even have to like them. But the anger and frustration that I was feeling was really just binding and punishing myself. So it kind of helped me come to the conclusion that forgiveness isn't just for the person you're forgiving, that it it really isn't for them at all, but it's for yourself. It's basically handing them the burden of their bad actions back and saying, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to carry around the burden of your bad actions anymore. Like you can have that back. And then once I could do that, then I could start working with seeing kind of the humanness within them. And that's something that's really always, always stuck with me. So, you know, we we kind of talk about, we also talk about how hard it was to wish yourself well. Um, and he encouraged me to dig deeper, you know, with that as well. And then around day seven, I had one of the most profound meditation experiences I've had in my life. I think it's probably like, like off the top of my head, I think there's three that I can think of. And this is definitely one of them, top three. I don't, I don't rank them, but like... I can't tell you which one of those three was the most profound because there's three of the most profound in my life, period. And this was one of them, the first one I've ever had. And it was where, you know, I was sitting and I was practicing. Um, it was in the afternoon session and Bonte had really been challenging me, um, you know, to just sit a little bit longer, to just, you know, challenge myself. And I just remember 
I was sitting there and, you know, loving kindness was flowing. I was doing my practice. I was sending it to all my people. And then I was sending it out to the universe. And it's just like, I almost just like dropped into just like deeper. I, I don't even know how to describe it. I just dropped into like nothingness. And then I opened my eyes and it felt like I opened my eyes because I thought, oh, maybe, you know, I've been meditating for about, you know, 10 minutes without peeking at the clock. And it had been two hours. And what happens is that now I know what happens is that when you go really deep into your meditation practice because you're withdrawing the senses is that you don't have the same idea of like time passing as when you're, you know, alert and taking in information from the senses. Um, and that's what had happened to me was basically like a really deep expression of pratyahara, withdrawal of the senses. And I just remember being, and I knew I wasn't sleeping. I just was so deep in my meditation and I didn't move for two hours. I didn't even know time was passing. And like my mind was blown. It's still blown even thinking about it. I haven't quite replicated it since. And that's okay. It's not about, you know, trying to replicate your quote, like best meditation ever. Um, but it was just a really, really just amazing and profound experience. And I think the reason I was able to go so deep so fast was because I was doing kind of that immersive experience that's always just been good for me personally, does not work for everyone. But it, it's easier for me to really focus on something if I like leave everything behind and show up and do something like immersive like that instead of doing like, you know, a little bit each week or something. That's just how I personally learn best. And then I just kept progressing and it was really amazing and I was feeling so good. And then on my last day, I did my morning practice and after breakfast, I had my last meeting with Bonte and then I, I headed home. And it was this experience at, you know, at this meditation center at Damasuka that, you know, really sparked my interest in meditation and then eventually in teaching meditation because I just felt like just the power and the transformation and the progress that I made just in like those few days. And it really inspired me to like keep going and to keep up with my practice. And then and then I was inspired to then share it with others and help others kind of find that magic as well. So this is just, you know, an experience that I hold really closely to my heart. And although I didn't, you know, dive into sharing and teaching meditation until a few years later, like this was definitely the catalyst for it. Um, and so that's it. That's really my whole, that was my experience. That's what it was like down there. And I get asked all the time, you can go and study there if you want. So there's, um, it's still open. Um, you know, they also sell books like online on Amazon. You can read them. You can take virtual retreats and you can, I can't speak for, you know, right now with COVID. Um, but before that, you can still go down and study and do retreats um, and also kind of do some of this like immersive learning that I that I did. So you can still do that. And again, I'll put all of the information in the show notes. So if you're interested in that, um, you can look that up as well. And then I just wanted to close the episode by just sharing a few thoughts and takeaways that I have from not only, you know, this experience, but from my work with loving kindness in general. So the first one is that meditation takes time and it's important to not try to replicate your quote, like best practice each time. So have no expectations. There's no good meditation. There's no bad meditation, just a meditation that you did. And I think that's so important because, and I get students all the time that say, you know, my, my meditation used to be quote, so good. Um, and now it's like bad. And I think it's so important that, you know, each experience, each practice you have, that is important and great in its own right. 
and that some might be more pleasant than others, but there is no good or bad meditation. So just be patient with yourself. And just because, you know, if I were still chasing that same experience in which I felt like I had unlocked like a secret of the universe and sat unknowingly for two hours in a deep meditation, I I would just get more and more frustrated by the day every time I didn't replicate that. Um, And you just have to let that go. You have to let those expectations go just, you know, and just practice. And if you're practicing, it's great. Another one is to remember that everyone is human and that they want and also deserve love. So even the biggest jerks on the planet, the most horrible rotten people, this is where, you know, one I really had to work on when I was working on forgiving um, the individual that I spoke about in my last episode. I had to remember that they were a human and that they too wanted love, like I wanted love, and that their hurt was probably a product of their own deep, deep suffering and um, imbalance. And that was something like just acknowledging that has really kind of shifted my perspective and made it easier to kind of love and forgive. And then what you put out, you get back in abundance. And so even like, even when I was writing my notes for this episode, um, and kind of like, you know, refreshing my mind on loving kindness, I just, it always just to me like feels so good. It's hard to explain, but it's kind of like, ooh, I just remember how much I love it. And just once you get that loving kindness like flowing, it just feels so good. And then really what you put out into the universe, you're going to get back to you tenfold. So when you send out loving kindness, it really is super just beautiful and powerful. And then it, it comes back to you, that same loving kindness, and it's just really special. Um, and then there's no power in freedom in or there is so much power and freedom in sending loving kindness to those that have hurt you i think one of the most freeing things i've ever done is be able to forgive and let go of the burden of some of the things that people have done to me those those people that i you know kind of hold a grudge against or that i really um really really had to work on you know letting go and seeing their humanness and when i could finally do that there was just so much freedom in that and then last thing I want to leave you with is that we are all connected and we all want happiness and if we see each other as humans with souls and not just as you know the others it is impossible to hate and to hate others so that's the last thing that I want to leave you with just a little bit of food for thought on that one so thank you so much for listening to this episode for listening to me share and rattle on for a whole hour about something that I love and take a you know keep an eye out on the feed for the guided twin meditation that we will do in just a few days all right thanks guys